Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Prepare to Fight Fire podcast. Today, my guest is Jose Santos. What's going on, man? Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate you. Hey, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So uh, let's roll right into it, man. We were just talking about it. Um, a, a new start, a new, a new, new fresh, fresh chapter in the book. Um, for anybody who doesn't know who uh, Jose Santos is, um, he he's really been a part of the busiest stations his entire career and he's kind of had a shift in uh in life and perspective so let, let's talk about that shift okay first of all i need to give a shout out because these guys gave me permission to do the podcast is my crew at station 74 captain palillo uh driver engineer michael suna firefighter paramedic jose hernandez my other partner on the rescue which is uh gingas gillette and a rookie firefighter, uh, Nick Leganis. <laughs> <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to all those guys. There's, there's studs across the board. Yeah. So what was it that you were, that you wanted to know? Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, your, your new, your new chapter uh, at a, at our slower station. Um, and, and let's just talk about, you know, what happened in your life recently that kind of changed your perspective and kind of slow down what your your normal pace was your entire career okay so i started in 2002 in battalion three and battalion three is a very busy battalion i was there for 20 years in my career a uh, real busy area the cool thing is you get a variety of everything you get a variety of you get fires, you've got, you know, the highway nearby, you get bad vehicle accidents, you get uh, you get a lot of medical calls uh, that are not just regular trip and falls and stuff like that. And uh, real busy, but uh, but it ends up turning out, you know, it, it, that's all I knew. All I knew was how to stay busy. Right. The reason I stayed busy was because the guys that come in to work in that battalion, those guys come to work. And they're, we train hard and they would, you know, they were very up to the, up to how, how could I put it, you know, waiting for that call. Right. They were yeah. waiting for that tough call, you know? Yeah, no, and, 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 and you, you want to come to work with people who, who have a good attitude, who are ready to, to make a difference, air quote, right? Um, and who want to do the job, right? They're not here for the paycheck. They're not here for the benefits. Um, that, that's all fine and dandy, and that's great. But the busiest areas in the country, in the world, I believe, um, are, are the more you know poverty areas, the, the lower income, Section 8 housing. And um, unfortunately, you run better calls in these areas right but these areas attract people who are more motivated more high speed of sorts in the, in the aspect of um they want to get the experience they want to run the calls so what what happened or what changed that you went from balls to the walls to you know what let, let, let's change some things at work because um I, i've done my time well i was very stubborn I was very stubborn because that's all I knew right. is the fire service is just runs and you are busy, you know, 
And, uh, and believe it or not, as you're getting older, I've always stayed in shape. So I don't want to be the guy that slows my guys down. Right. You know, so I've always stayed in shape and everything and try to keep my body intact. But as you get older, I was, um, you know, I was getting burned out. I'm not going to, you know, so I was coming home a little bit angry. I was upset at uh, the environment. Right. And I, and God, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie, a negative attitude toward the fire service, something that is super dear to me and something that I am very proud of. And I am, and I was, I've always been very gun ho and hardworking. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, since the day I met you, man, um, you, you care a lot, right? And and that it's tough because you're torn, right? You want to help people, you want to run calls, but at the same token, we're human, you know. And from from what I hear, you you know, and we've been a part of some some shitty calls. You are a shit magnet, and yeah. <laughs> you know, there's only so much bad shit you can see before things start taking a turn for the worse. So I want to kind of dive in and talk to people because this is people all over the, the world are going to listen to this and they don't know what you what medical problem you recently went through. And I want to know how that changed your your perspective on everything, not only the fire service, but life. So let's talk about what recently happened. Okay, so a couple of years ago, the COVID pandemic happened. And they were getting us ready for this and everything the department was. And like I told you, the, the attitude I had, I was like, I tell you, burned out a little bit and everything like that. But the b- best thing that ever happened to me was get COVID. Number one, I didn't believe in it. I thought, oh, this is just going to affect the elderly. It's not going to affect us. We're strong. We're healthy. We, you know, we take good care of ourselves. But <laughs> one day I show up to uh, the station with body aches. And uh, end up with the body aches. They screen us before we come in. And you know, those uh, thermometers would only say 97.8 or 97.9. Remember that. And what ended up happening was a young guy goes and scans my forehead, takes the temperature with the skin probe. And he goes, hey, that's weird. This thing never hits 99. And I go, bro, I'm fine. And he goes, you sure you don't have body aches or everything? And I go, well, I felt like a truck just hit me. So ended up happening. I didn't go into the station. They sent me to go get screened. And I tested positive. So they went ahead. They did a full physical on me. They tested me. They did a chest X-ray and everything like that. And they said, okay, here's some medications. And, you know, just keep an eye on it. By the eighth day. And I was like, I remember like throughout the days, I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And people were calling me and I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm strong, whatever. On the eighth day, I was hypoxic. And uh, the eighth day, I was like, I can't breathe. Mm. I was, I felt like I was drowning. My lips were purple. My fingertips were, were uh, blue. And so were my toes, I remember. And I had to uh, 
call my wife and I tell my wife, hey, you need to come over here because we had my brother set up a camper outside on my driveway. And that's where I was, was staying. So I don't infect the family. And she comes and she's like, oh my God, you look horrible. My sacks were in the, in the high 70s. Mm-hmm. So my wife is like, okay, well, let's call fire rescue. And as stubborn as we are, we're not, I'm not bothering those guys. <laughs> we're not calling fire rescue. She's like, well, we got to take you to the hospital, you know? And my wife works at the hospital, but I go, no, 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 no. Just take me to the firefighter clinic, you know, our firefighter clinic. So she which, crazy. Which, which is two hours away from your house. But. <laughs> but she ends up saying, she ends up saying, are you crazy? And I'm like, I could barely talk to her, but I'm like, I'm not going to fucking die. Let's go. So as we're going over there, my sats are dropping. And uh, as my sats are dropping, I'm telling her, hey, drive faster. <laughs> you know, and she's like, I'm going 95, almost 100. And I'm like, please hurry up. So <laughs> we went ahead. We gave the clinic a heads up, a shout out to them. They were ready to have me in there. They went ahead and did a scan of my chest and then they saw all these dots and everything was spread in my lungs, you know, and they called one of our rescues and the rescue transported me and uh, took me to the hospital from there. They stabilized me at the firefighter clinic and from there, the rescue transported me. When, now, let me ask you, because you, you've got so much experience treating people, right? You've got so much experience being in these these situations where you're on the other end of it. You're not panicking. You're hanging out. You're not, you, you're, you're doing what you're trained to do, right? At what point throughout this process where you're like, this is bad. Like, this is, this is really bad. I was actually very, very stubborn, even though I was having that trouble breathing. I'm like, no, I'm strong. This, I, I was actually in denial. I'm like, this is not going to happen to me. I'm not going to let this happen to me, you know? Right. Still, I ended, up, uh, I ended up in the hospital. And then from there, I ended up in the ICU and I couldn't take two steps without collapsing. Mm. Like if I took two steps, I would literally be as if I did a a 400 meter sprint around the track full hard. I would be like, (laughs) I would be, I would be uh, really bad. And my sats would drop even drastic. They were in the seventies. So. Get you to the hospital because you're still being modest. And now this is day eight of having COVID. Yes. Now what happens? Well, a funny story is initially they put me in the COVID ward and they stick me in there. And I end up coming in and I see this man that is one of our frequent flyers is not a very nice man that runs in our battalion, that we run on him all the time in the battalion. And as soon as I walk in, I see him, and the guy goes, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> and I can barely breathe, you know? And I'm like, I, I'm like, tell the staff, they go, are you uh, serious? And they're like, they're like, what? You guys know each other? And I'm like, yeah, I run on this guy every day, multiple times on my shift. And what are the odds that I end up sharing a room for two hours? You know, so now they have me on all this like vent stuff and everything. They have me on all this oxygen and this guy's purposely blurring his 
TV on, you know? And I'm like, hey, could you uh, go ahead and turn that down? And he's like, fuck you, you know? Telling me to go fuck myself and everything. And I'm like, I go, oh, my, finally he fell asleep and I was able to take one step, reach and hide the remote. <laughs> and then an hour later, our account, our, our uh, doctor at the firefighter clinic shows up in a bio suit and he goes, why are you here? And I'm like, he goes, you need to be in the ICU. That's where I sent you. So he went and he went over there, raised a little bit of hell. And then the next thing you know, I end up in the ICU. So how long were you in the ICU for? For a month, approximately. For a month. That's after day nine. Or was that day nine included? That was that was day, yeah, that was day eight. And okay. went after the, the, the deal with my frequent flyer, I ended up uh over there. For a month. Yeah. So so talk to me. So obviously that was that was that was tough. That was scary, right? I mean, you, you had yeah. to be because it got serious. Because you weren't in control. Yeah. How how was that? Because obviously we as firefighters, especially firefighters that really care and want to do the, the best we can and run the calls and help as many people as we can. And and as, as you and I know, we're, we're, we're pretty macho. How yeah. was it? Like, what did you go through, man, of understanding? I can't, I can't do it. Like, what, what, what do you do? Like, you can't go work out. You can't go sleep it off. Like, you can't go eat better food. Like, so what did you do mentally to get through this? First of all, it messed me up mentally initially. It like it scared me because the thing was that I started seeing people code and then die. And then mm. oh the ICU's all glass, so you can see everything right. that's going on. Plus, we're paramedics, so we know medically what's happening, you know. So that messed with me a lot because all you would hear was code blue, code blue. And then you'd see them working on these people and then they die. And then what really would mess you up was when you see the two guys with the bio suits in this little stretcher with a body bag and a velvet cover, a green, I still remember it, a green velvet cover. And from there, they put the body in there, zip it up, put them on the stretcher, the body, the deceased, and put the green velvet cover and they went through a little back door. So I would see this every day, multiple times just happening. Ugh. I was the only one that pretty much made it in my, in the MCU. Right. And, and that's, that's tough, man. I, I, I got to ask you, were you very religious or have a, did you have a strong faith going into this or no? I, I'm not going to lie to you. I've always been, I have always believed in God and everything, but, uh, throughout my career, I kind of got, I was a little bit angry with God. <laughs> and yep. I was a little bit angry with God. And, you know, through the things that I've been through, through the things that I've seen, and I was angry. And, and uh, <laughs> I, went, I just said one day, I go, hey, you know, I don't know if you're listening to me, but, you know, I want, you're alone in there. So I just wanted to, I said, I want to see my daughters grow up. Mm. I don't want them without a father, you know? And uh, 
just give me this chance to fight and get through this. And I promise you that, you know, I'm going to be a different person, mm. you know, is what I said. Yeah, that's, that's heavy, man. That's heavy. And thank you for sharing that. Um, it, it's crazy because yeah, you know, the things that we, we see changes us, right? Yeah. It has, um, it's, it's cool. You see these new guys, I'm sure you too, with, you have double, almost triple the experience I have, but you see these new guys come in all fresh, right? Not damaged yet. They're like, they're like babies in the world. Like they haven't had negativity like bestowed upon them. They haven't experienced what, what we've experienced, you know, and they're just new and green. And with that mindset, you, you are jaded, but once you're jaded, it changes the way you think it changes what makes sense, right? Yeah. Kids dying and parents living when the parents put the kids in the situation doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right. Um, and, 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 and that to me has always not sat well with me and it's always put a question. So I can only imagine, you know, in that position, you know, you're still kind of mad with, with the higher power with God, but you're like, Hey man, like <laughs> we haven't talked in a while. But here I am, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, um, hear me out. And, and man, I, I got to tell you, we in the field and how many people really care about you when you were going through this, um, there are so many people that were at, that would ask about you, right? And then I was at 37 a lot with Lou and um, and people would ask, yeah, hey man, how is, how is Jose? How's Jose? And, um, and and that made me realize how, how much of an impact you've left on people that yeah. would ask about you. And it wasn't just once. Because you were out for a long time. And then after the hospital, you were out. There was, there was questioning about you even become being a firefighter again. Yeah, I wasn't. They said I wasn't going to be a firefighter again, and that scared me. So who, who told you that? So um, before we go through all of that, what one thing was, like I told you, I had my attitude. I was a little bit angry and everything. And it's amazing how things work because I was frustrated. I was everything. And I ended up getting this amazing support from the fire department. Okay. And from our guys. But the thing has also been with leadership when it's been with me is I've always put my guys ahead of me. And I think that's why I get the love that I get. I sacrifice myself for you guys. Right. Okay. If somebody's going to get in trouble, it's going to be not you. Right. I wish some people learned that in leadership. But if one guy that makes a mistake, yeah, I will talk to him. But I will take the blame. I will take the accountability because I'm the officer on that unit. Right. So I've always taken care of my guys. And when I ended up in tough trouble, in tough times, the guys who have been there for me have been all you all and triple, you know? Right. That's, that's the thing, the support that I've got. I ended up getting it from headquarters, the leadership above, and from every single one of you guys, you know? So I've always been very grateful. You get what you put out. 
Right. Absolutely. You know, I truly that. And it's so funny how people are like uh, negative and they're like, you know, fuck the brotherhood. And again, jaded guys. Um, and it's like, you've taken your entire career. Like, it's just take, 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 take. You've never been the person to stand up for your guys. You've never been the person to stand up for the right thing. You've never been a person that leaves a positive impact or leaves a positive comment. It's always negative. And then you wonder why you get a negative return, right? It, it's all about energy. And if you go your whole career with negative energy, don't expect for some reason you get put your back against the wall for something good to come out of it. Like that's not how it works for anybody out there. Listen, you can't just take, take, take your whole entire life and not just in the fire service, but in, in regular day life, right? Like it, it costs nothing to be nice and it costs nothing to help somebody. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't have to be for the return. Like, oh, I'm going to help you. You're going to help me one day. No, it's, I'm just helping you because I want to help you. It's the right thing to do. And if I can, then why wouldn't I help you? And it, it's, it's a funny story. I'll never forget. Growing up, I grew up in Loxahatchee. And um, my grandma always told me, you know, do the right thing. Like, like, like God is always watching, right? Whatever. Okay, grandma. Long story short, we were in this Walmart off of Belvedere and uh, 441, right across the street from 29. And I come across this wallet. This wallet had, I think, probably 800 bucks. And I was like 12. I just so happened to be with my grandma. So I'm like, I'm like, Grandma, look at all this money. She's like, yeah, no worries. Let's turn it in. And I'm like, no, Grandma, it's $800. <laughs> and she's like, that's not the right thing. Like, let's turn it in. So we turned it in. Fast forward a decade. Right. So I was 12 or 13. Now I'm 22, 23. I'm visiting because I, I was living in Ocala. We're at that Walmart shopping. We leave the Walmart. We're driving. She's like, oh shit, I forgot my wallet in the in the car. And in my head, I'm I'm more grown up and I understand the world. And I understand it's Walmart. And she's like, Oh, and I just cashed a check. There was two thousand dollars in the in the wallet. I'm like, oh, it's gone. Right? It's, it's long gone. So I was like, all right, let's drive back and let's see. Drive back. Somebody turned the wallet in. And it's just like, at this point, she at this point, she is not as sharp as she used to be. And she didn't remember what had happened 10 years ago, but I remember. And it, it just is good energy, right? Now it could have been a fluke. Whatever. I don't really believe in that, but it's just the pure fact of putting out positive energy to the world. You ever, uh, you've ever, like, you go to 37 a lot. You work at 37 a lot. Have you ever gone to my old locker there? Yes. Did you see something there? Yes. I, you saw the note? Yeah. So I always leave that note when I leave to somewhere new. And I haven't left to a lot of places throughout my career, but I pass that on to the next officer. And I always, I still remember, I put, I always put, put your crew ahead of you. Mm. You will see what you will get in return. And right. this was before I got COVID and before I got sick. I always leave that note. And when I see a guy that's going to get promoted to that position, I tell him that. Take care of your guys. because. They're going to take care of you. If you take care of your guys, they will follow you everywhere. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to finish this COVID thing because I want to talk to you about leadership. So the doctor tells you you're not going to be a firefighter anymore. Um, throughout this process, were you even worried about the fire service? Was that in your head of like, I got to get back? Or were you just like, I want to survive? No, I wanted to get back. You know why? Because I was, it was hard to get to work, you know, and I wasn't going to let it go on someone else's term. Mm. I need the fire service on my term. Love it. So on Christmas Eve, a doctor walks in and checks my lungs real quick. Doesn't even, he does this, does this. <laughs> and pretty much comes with a pamphlet that says, oh, you're going to need bilateral lung transplants. No way. Yeah. He goes, you're going to need, but you're a candidate for bilateral lung transplant. He told me that. You know? So I was like, that's when everything like dropped. And I was like, Christmas Eve, I cried. I cried like a little girl throughout the night and go, wow, the thing that I love the most, the fire service, is being taken taken away from me. You know? One of the things that I... I my my thing is family and brotherhood and the fire service, you know, that's my thing. And that was being taken away from me. So the next morning that I wake up on Christmas day, a little voice told me, get up. And I'm like, and he said it again, get up. There I am with all these tubes and everything, not intubated, but on a BiPAP high flow, central line, everything, all these, all the leads on me, everything. And I get up and I stand up using the IV pole and I sit back down and I stand up and I sit back down. I watch my pole socks drop and then I make sure it went back up and my heart rate to drop. So I sat up and I sat back down. And then I started marching in place. I go, today I'm going to try to march for two minutes. Then I go, there was my commode there because I couldn't walk to the bathroom because I would be in respiratory distress. Right. So I would have the commode and do push-ups off the commode. You know? So I go, okay, I'm going to do five push-ups. I'm going to march in place for two minutes and I'm going to sit on the bed and stand up as many times as I could at that time. I lost four in there, you know? So that told me, do something. And I was upset because what this man told me, this man was going to take away, was going to take away something that I love. Away mm. from. And that bothered me. You know, it bothered me a lot. So we're, we're talking Christmas. Fast forward. When was it that it was actually because you and I both know that from that to putting on full gear and climbing stairs, that's a long gap. <laughs> that's a long ways away. And I know that you weren't even focused on that. You were focused on just progressing forward. And that's the mindset that you've developed over your your career and over your life of, of training hard all the time and putting yourself in positions of growth and choosing to be better. Um, so I truly believe that you trained your whole life for this for this moment. Um, and when when life 
gave you this moment, the average person, and you and I both know, would have either died or would have been in a nursing home or an ALF and not living the life that you're living. So from those that, that little AMRAP that you were doing in, in the hospital to that, remember how you told me you went to headquarters and put gear on? How was that process? Because how long did that take? So I was helping people from home and I was bored. I'm not one of these people to sit on light duty. I am not. I can't. No offense to anybody, but I do not like to be on light duty. Right. I got on the field with my guys. So I ended up, I started helping out with classes here, classes there. They go, hey, help out with the recruits. I started helping out with the recruits. The instructor is great. They were like welcoming everything and all that. So I started training with some of the recruits. And then during lunchtime, when you were training, <laughs> when I would see you training, I don't know if it was for smoke divers at that time or what. Right. But I remember you training chopping wood in the back and all that with uh, Chris Curtis and all that. So I would put my gear on and I'd go, okay, I'm going to go up and down this hill carrying two, a piece of you know, equipment. So I'd go up and down with an air pack. I would be done. I'd go, okay, I'm going to do stairs. I could only go to the first flight and my lips were purple. I think I showed you a video. Mm. I don't know if I ever showed it to you. So I go up the stairs and I only make it to the first flight and my heart is, feels like it's going to rate, like it's coming out of my heart and my full socks drops. So I have to sit on that first flight of stairs on the landing, first landing. And put that little pulse ox on, wait till my pulse ox goes up and my heart rate comes down. Then I walk back down. Then I do a push-up. Do it again till when I would recover up top, I'd go back down and do that. Then I go, okay, this week I'm going to challenge myself to the first, to the second floor. So I go up there and challenge myself to the second floor. Now, to answer that previous question you said ahead about people asking me, how did I find out that I wasn't going to, somebody came and they go, hey, you're on light duty. You shouldn't be working out. Mm. And I go, well, I'm in my own time. I'm not in the department's time. This is my time. I explained to them. And then they were like, well, if you are doing activity, you know, we think what you're doing is admirable, but you can't be doing that. You're on light duty. And I'm like, how am I going to get better? If mm. I don't body, your body heals on its own, you know, but I needed a lot of help from my father and everything like that. But I went and spoke to somebody upstairs at headquarters and I told them, Hey, what's, why can't I work out and everything? And they went ahead and they said, well, I don't think that you are going to be able to come back. Really? Another person. <laughs> and but this was not them. This was the information was given from the, not the firefighters clinic, but the county clinic mm. that said, oh, he'll never be a firefighter again because of that. One doctor that said I needed bilateral lung transplants. So I was going to go on disability, pretty much. I got emotional, and I go, what do I need to do to show you? I've got 18 months. Let me show you what I can do. 
And they went ahead and they said, okay, get the doctor and get the doctor's information and give us a letter from the doctor, from your pulmonologist that you can do this. So I spoke to the pulmonologist. I told him, hey, I'm trying to get better. I need to do some activity. He went ahead and he signed up for me. So I showed him that. It was activity, you know? So I went, I was allowed. The department was like, go ahead, show us what you can do. I ended up training, training, training. My father would lend me the pool. I'd be bungeed, swim in place with a snorkel, with a restriction plate on it. You know, my dad would tell me, these are the breathing exercises you need to do. My father, my father is a respiratory therapist. Mm. And these are the exercises you need to do. My lower loads were still diminished, still today, slightly diminished in the lower. But when they gave me that green light, I was able to, okay, start doing this. As I noticed how I was training and I started teaching the recruits, I started, I'm like, we're not going to make you do the recruits do stuff that we can't do. Mm. So here I am assisting and teaching in the recruits and I can't run, I'm going to run. So I started running. And then we started doing the marches in full gear. And I started noticing, oh, I'm passing. I'm this, this next month, I'm 50 years old. These guys are in their lower 20s and I'm passing them. Mm. You know, with half the lung capacity. Right. You know, so in full gear on air and I started beating these kids. You know, so the thing was that and I started pushing myself and pushing myself. Then finally, I ended up because you have to hit 80% on your lung capacity in order to go back to work. So once I hit that, I had to do an entrance physical back to the department. Right. I did my entrance physical and our exercise physiologist said, instead of you doing the walk on the treadmill, why don't we go ahead and make you do the VO2 max? And I was like scared because I go, oh boy. But she motivated me. She goes, come on, you're doing, and I do the VO2 max and she goes, she goes, Santos, you're able to outperform like 70 to 75% of our personnel. Mm. You did great. Right. So I did my physical. I got cleared. I couldn't wait to go back, you know, and excited, you know. Yeah. Well, and it goes to show you what people don't understand is, is this sounds like a fairy tale. But you worked your ass off your entire life. Yeah. And you've been an athlete your entire life. Yeah. So take away your athleticism, your mindset, and your physique, and give this same person the disease that you got, they don't stand a chance. Not yeah. only do they not stand a chance, they're not coming back to work. So I, I want to talk to you about that of what has been your drive since you got hired to stay fit and to stay motivated? Number one, I'm not the tallest guy in the world. I look <laughs> taller, but I'm only 5'7". <laughs> I've always been the little guy. You know, I've uh, trained with Rick Stevens before. That guy, was I an athlete? Yes, I was in sports my entire career, but I wasn't a Rick Stevens. Rick Stevens <laughs> is a completely different category to what I am. Shout out to Rick Stevens. He's uh, he's the GOAT. So, 
Yeah, I noticed that you interviewed him. And uh, Mix Longley, Ed Kransky from our department, mm-hmm. Firefighter Combat Challenge. So I came over there wanting to prove because I was told I was never going to get hired. I was never going to be in the fire service. You know, it. I was like, a lot of doors were closed. Not because I had a bad background or anything like that, you know, it was just doors were closed on me, mm-hmm. but I wasn't going to let that. It was, if they re- you remove everything, I think what I have is hard. And I, that was brought to me by my dad, my family, my father. All I know about my dad is my father's a grinder. Mm. He grinds through anything. When times are tough, my old man grinds, you know, and that's what I saw. And that's what I show. I have daughters, but that's what I show my daughters, you know. So I stayed in shape. I've always worked out. I did part of the I did firefighter combat challenge for maybe five or six years. You know, Uh, as soon as I got into uh, into the department, you know, somebody just little somebody in my head kept on telling me, you know, the people that said no, the doctor that said no, the instructor that said no to me, you know. So I always have something to prove. Right. And you I, you use I that. like people wrong. Right. You know? Yeah, you, that, you use it as your motivation. That's amazing. That motivation, that person that told me no, you know, it was, it's that. That's what has helped me throughout my career. That, that's what gives me that drive, mm. you know, besides my family support and all my friends and everything, you know, it's that it's the guy who told me, no, that I can't do something, you know? So when I got into the fire service, I meet Mitch Longley and I'm like, oh my God, I know this guy could, cause I used to see him compete in the firefighter combat challenge. Mm-hmm. I remember Rick Stevens was at Deerfield beach, you know? And I see that guy and I go, dude, I want to be like these guys, you know? So I started training with Mitch Longley. Mitch Longley took me under his wing, Ed Kransky, all these people. These guys lasted through their entire career. You know, were their bodies banged up? Yes. But they never slowed anybody down. They never slowed down the young guys. They were the pace setters at anything on a call or on competition, you know? Yeah, it, it goes to show, man, we, we really are lifelong athletes. And yeah. it just dawned on me how incredible it is to see uh, a 55-year-old or even, you know, shout out to uh, uh, the, the individual that I, I worked with yesterday, um, Scott Calvis. Um, yeah. He's no spring chip, you know what I mean? He's not. Yeah. But he's strong, man. He's strong. He's swift. And it's impressive, like – Guys running six calls after midnight with us, and like yeah. he's not young, you know what I mean? And no complaints, you know, yeah. not slowing anybody down. And yeah. it, it goes to show you have to be physically and mentally tuned in your entire career here. Um, this isn't you don't work at the post office where you know you you could use a walker. Like, no, you you can't just be uh present. You've got to be, you know, physically and mentally capable. Um, yeah. and that's We've kind of lost that where people, as they age, they get the, they adopt the mindset of, well, I'm old, you know, um, you have a prime example, uh, your, your driver at, at the station you work with now, he's, he, he's, he's just, he defies the odds, you know, um, yeah. he's not at all. And, um, 
he is, I think, one of the most athletic people we have. Yes. Um, you know, um, and, and, and it goes to show that it's all up here, right? People don't understand that. People think that it's a physical thing, and it's not. It's just not accepting um, age, and it's not accepting other people's opinions. Like, oh, you can't do that, or oh, you know. And for anybody listening, it's easy to say, you know what, you're right. I'm not going to do that. The hard thing to do is to use it as motivation, but that's what you have to do. That's you can't let other people's opinions or or or, or viewpoints change what you do. Obviously, you take it in, you think about it, and then you make your decision. That's what makes us human: is we all have the ability to make our own decisions and be individually, you know, ourselves. So, let me ask you, man. You you get out to this new station. Uh, you've got a new outlook on life. Um, this is a chance to for, for these guys that don't know, and we'll be vulnerable here. What have they done for you in your new chapter in, in your career? At my new station? Yeah. I've got guys that are motivated. I got guys that stay in shape. I train with the one of the younger guys at the station. Okay. So he's kind of like my pace setter. If I can keep up, if I can keep up with him. I know that I'm not slowing up the crew. My fear is the day I slow the crew down is the day I either have to go to headquarters or I need to retire. Right. You know, that's my mentality. People may disagree. I, I'm not going to be the one that slows my crew down, you Mm -hmm. know? So the thing is we got young, motivated guys. It's not as busy as battalion three would I've been my entire career. But we get quality calls. We get good calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're out there for a little while on your own, you know? So you better be good at what you do. Right. Because we're not getting help for a while, you know? Yeah, you got, you got six dudes to mitigate any emergency. <laughs> yeah. But the cool thing is that as many years as I've been, I'm still learning. Right. I'm still learning something new. Now, is there a lot that I can put in? Yeah, but I'm still learning. You know, I'm learning stuff that they do out there that I never did. Mm. Right. You know, so that's the thing. I'm still learning. And I enjoy being, they're motivated, they're everything, you know. It's a bunch of older guys in good shape, but they motivate. Right. And I love that. I got into the fire service just because I played team sports my whole life. When they asked me on my interview, they asked me, hey, you know, uh, what is it that you want? What is it? What was the question? I still remember. They said, they asked me, why do you want to be part of this department? Mm. And I go, listen, I know there's a cookie cutter, cookie cutter answer that is to save lives and serve my community. And, and I told him, that's all admirable. I love that. But I grew up playing team sports since I was five years old. I go, I, to me, this is part of a big team. Mm. And I want to be part of this team. You know, to me, it's about the guy next to you. You know, that's what I love. And 
this is, and I still see this and I see this there, you know, at this station. Yeah. That's, that's amazing, man. That's amazing. And and, and one last thing I got to ask you um, before we, we, we close this up, if you could tell yourself day one, something that would help him the rest of his career, what, what would you tell him? Uh, gain experience. Mm. I've gained experience, but but I still don't think I know everything, and I don't think I've you know seen everything. And I've been through a lot, and I've seen a lot of calls, but just keep learning. Mm-hmm. Keep yeah. learning. You have to in, in this job. Well, brother, th- thank you for coming on. I, I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. It's super powerful. And uh, I just want to tell you, you know, I- I'm proud of you. I've, I've looked up to you since I got hired. Um, and, you know, you've never been a spring chicken since I've been around. Um, and, and, and you still send it. So um, to me, that's, that's respect. And uh, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you for having me.